0: Hello. All right. All right. For some reason, the red light's on instead of a green light. That's why I didn't know if the mic was working or... Okay. All right. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, I'm returning to the subject of sexuality. Uh, I think it's an important subject. It's an important subject because this is the issue of our culture. This is the issue of our day. This is the issue that the church must face. And... Unlike what I've seen from many, we have to face it biblically. And uh, I'm striving to get a greater grasp on a biblical, not not just a response, but we're ready to give an answer for a reason of the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear. But also in the sense that... Um, just wanting to know for ourselves what is true and what is right. And I'm trying to find some notes that I wanted to deal with there. What is the starting point for knowledge about anything? Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And... If we are not starting in this subject with a reverential fear of God, then we don't really know anything about it. And that's kind of what we've been dealing with in the last couple times that we breach a subject. Well, what, what is sex? Well, sex is a creature that is created by God, it's a creation. And. Therefore, He is Lord over it. It doesn't matter what you and I think about it. He's Lord. And if you have adopted or any any Christian has adopted a view that... diminishes his lordship in this area then we have departed from the scriptural teaching about it uh, and we talked about partly what that looks like uh, last time what does that look like it, it, you you embrace certain ideas of material philosophy uh, of secular philosophy uh, and so what what is that it's driving God out of this, that God has nothing to do with the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis or, the, or who I choose to love or whatever it is. We, 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 we adopt this secular view and secular philosophies that are foreign to the Scriptures. Material philosophy and Darwinism have nothing to do with what you and I who profess to believe in Christ and profess to follow Christ are to believe about the subject. I shudder to think that the ideology of the senator that stood up and said, God has nothing to do with what this Senate does, is actually how we play out our lives. Uh, It must, he must be Lord of all in all parts of our lives if we are to follow him. What is the Great Commission? Teach all nations, baptize them, then do what? Tell them to go their own way, live their own life. (laughs) Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. So we have to bring this subject under His Lordship. And then we talked about the influence of things like science fiction. (laughs) And this has more to do with with how we view the world than anything else. I, I want to first... Today or today and then next week I want to deal with these two subjects of what I believe to be what I believe to be the modern heresy that our generation must face is this egalitarianism in this subject. And I want to present what God created sex to be what He has determined it to be, and answer begin to answer some objections this week. I want to answer the objections that say what but, but uh, there is neither male nor female in the lord and and uh, and He created male and female in His image, so we have this egalitarian view of sexuality that we that that, that we can infer in all things, and we can set aside. Any kind of roles we can set, all those things are just um, the Bible speaking in its own archaic understanding that is no longer relevant to us. That is what I want to challenge today, and then next week I want to challenge how the ideology of sex and gender has changed the way our modern churches are speaking about the nature of God. So this, that, that will end my discussion of, of... So this week and next week, I hope to end my discussion of this of this aspect of this study. So if the starting point for knowledge is God in all things. That would include the knowledge of anthropology. That would include knowledge of the human being. That would include knowledge about you and how you function and what your roles are in this world and myself as well, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Fearfully and wonderfully, Psalm 139. And well let's get into the subject. I, I wanna I wanna read the scriptures first. Uh here here we have a subject of sexuality taught by Christ. And I want us to follow through the implications of it. This was a subject of divorce is brought up. The subject of marriage is brought up. The Pharisees in verse 3, 19:3 also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? You know, I ran into a discussion of, uh, of sexuality just yesterday, yesterday and, and one of the uh, advocates for a certain school of thought said, He does not matter what the, scriptures, what, the, what the person writing the Scriptures said or does not say. That's all that matters is what the Scriptures say, what God has spoke. And that's how Christ, the one you and I are following, started this conversation. Have you not read? Here's the thing. We are not blindly groping in in the darkness, just trying to figure out things for ourselves because God has not given us light. God has... Spoken. Amen. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause? So not only did he create them as they are, but he inserted purpose. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they, uh, the archaic there, uh, twain, (laughs) the two of them shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh and what god has joined together let not man put asunder and we're not it's not need needful for us to continue this is what god has said about sexuality and this isn't the only place it was said what is he quoting well he is quoting the creation account And the creation account is underpinned. Do you know the very first command given to man was sexual in nature? Genesis 128. Go forth, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's human sexuality right there. Uh, And subdue it, bring it under your control, and all those other things. But that was part of the very first command given to mankind. And he is quoting the very the institution of marriage in genesis chapter 2 and this is what jesus christ described as the reality of human sexuality under god's command and direction and purposes and design, and telos. And there is no greater purposes that anyone could assert than the ones that God has given. What purposes are people asserting for sex today? Self-fulfillment, self-gratification, a chance to express my identity. That's vanity. Those aren't the high purposes of God. Consider what purposes He is giving here. Consider sexuality as it's presented by Christ. In this complementarian ideology, He takes us from male and female, to husband and wife, to mother and father, with the expectation that that is how it continues, that a man will then leave his mother and father, will become a husband to his wife, and will become a mother and father who will produce Another generation that will do the same, and so on so forth. And there are great purposes that He gives here for those things. Because as we talked about, talked about many times before, this is not simply about another generation arising, but another generation arising that knows God, that hopes in God, that knows His commandments, that goes forward believing Him, and the biblical view of sexuality is greater than the self-contained self that you and I talked about. Meat for the belly, belly for the meats. That's all it's about. It's about me getting what I want and those things exist outside of me to please me and to fulfill me, to give me a chance to express my identity, to be, to, to all these things. When Christ says, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than all of it's it's about filling the earth it's about it's about those things and god being known in another generation and in another generation and in another generation do you know that when we read about christ coming into the world what we read first this person begot this person and this person begot this person and this person begot this person and this person begot this person. That the salvation itself worked itself out through generations. And there is no greater purpose than this. What, 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 what are we going to replace the Christian view of sexuality with? One word, self, me, and we think that that's somehow grander. I mean, we we put flowery words to it. We, I mean, I I, I can't I can't believe some of the things I hear about um, that they're about the supposed spiritual fulfillment that someone gets from from this sin or that that sin or or things of that nature or from this sexual act or from that sexual act and and how it but it never leaves that self-contained circle of meat for the belly and belly for the meats. Whereas when we read the Scriptures from beginning to end, we're seeing God working in families. We're seeing God working through generations. We're seeing that until it comes to this is the generation of Christ. I'm the product of, and you are the product of those very things. Uh, I grew up knowing the gospel because of those very things. I'm saved today because because of those very things working out. And if you take that away... You take away the mother, the father, the husband, the wife, the male, the female, and you replace it with some new form of sexuality that says, me, me, me. You don't have those complementary roles. You don't have those uh, expectations. You don't, you don't have that working of generation to generation. Has not worked? Now I'm not trying to say, well, if we just adopt a sexual morality, that uh, somehow we will have less prisons. But prisons are full today of people who did not have those things. It doesn't work. So what are we replacing it with? The bottom line, theologically, regarding sex and the and human nature is that it's created for grander ends than the momentary act of pleasure or self-contained expression of individuality. And it has a perspective that reaches across generations. Psalm 78, the very first eight verses that we may know God. And the danger of, the real danger of setting all this aside, which is really what's happening. We're seeing a movement not to redefine marriage, but to abolish it. Not to redefine male and female, but abolish it. Transhumanism, all that kind of stuff is, is, is underpinning. And what, what is it? danger is, is if you take this away, there will become a generation, there will rise a generation that knows not God. When has that ever been the case in human history, that it's been good and has not ended in destruction? In fact, we've seen several generations culturally that do not know their God. Why? Because this has been lost. And therefore, people have been lost. So it's broader. It's brought, Human sexuality is broader than uh, than me. And not it's not a chest-beating. I am a man and you, woman, and thing, things like that. Like like a captain, cave man, and, and uh, things like that. What what is the sexual ethic? That I'm a man who becomes a husband, who becomes a father, who produces children, who I bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. that's that's purposeful that's that 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 that's meaningful and the and the biblical narrative brings this ethic out and that ethic is you and what was that those of you all that are ladies in here you're you're part you're you're just as much a part of that as any uh, anyone else and there's a greater nature and a great, uh, of ideas uh that are here and a far greater historical purpose than I have to show who I am by this. It's related to the whole of our faith. Christians Christians have children believing God has ongoing purposes for those children in, in spa, space and time. We, we cannot deny the purposes and ends without eventually denying and distorting the Scriptures as a whole. Uh, so again, we, we follow that that's the general idea of biblical sexuality male and, male, male and female become husband and wife become mother and father and that's exactly what Christ is teaching here and to deny these distinctions you are getting into a denial of the truths of God themselves but that's right where our culture is How, then, can we deny the lordship of God over this area? Say that it is what I want it to be. I I have no reason to count distinctions. How can someone argue biblically from those ideas? And people will. Um, And let's go to the two places where they, can, they argue these points. Go to Genesis one twenty seven. I want to walk through these arguments, and I hope that they will be edifying. Scriptural anthropology. Is it scriptural to believe in egalitarian doctrine that says there are no distinctions created by God? And other, re, other than reading through the lenses of scientific materialism and science fiction, there is an. This is one of the. This is the first of two points of misunderstanding. There is a truth that male and female, even through though distinct from each other in terms of sexuality, allowing for that to be a separate category, a distinct category, are created equal. One twenty-seven, Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So, and I'm looking at another text real quick. Chapter 5, verse 2. Male and female created he them and blessed them, or going back in verse 1, in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called, them, called their name their name Adam in the day they were created. So here we have equality in creation. Egalitarian equality, in a sense. It is implied that it is only ignorance in the authors of the scriptures and those interpreting to believe that the outworking of sexuality has distinctions, because here they are male and female are created equally in the image of God. So there are no distinctions. It is asserted that there can be no system of authority, therefore. There can be no distinct roles, therefore, in which a a husband and a a father are in position of leadership and a wife is in, in any way, in any kind of role of submission. And if, say, Paul makes such declarations, like in 1 Timothy 2, then he's simply wrong. Or he's speaking from his own faulty patriarchy or his own uh, mistaken view of the world. uh, And that's it. (laughs) Uh, They're just mistaken. And this opens up the door, by the way. I want to say something about the nature of God's Word. How much of the Scripture is God-breathed? 1 Timothy 3:16 all okay so that's where we get the idea of plenary inspiration that all parts of scripture are equally given by god and carry the authority of god what do you have to what 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 is being denied right here that because the bible says this here i could ignore this over here and I see this all the time. You're going to see as time goes on, and this subject becomes so big in our culture, which I don't know that it can get much bigger than it is, and the, and the hatred for Christians asserting anything that the Bible says about anything, that you're going to find people who call themselves Christian to say, well, what Paul Harris says does not matter. Or if you bring it up, it'll just be ignored. It's not relevant to the discussion because we are so much more reasonable than Paul was. And. If I can interject, I think it's kind of a swing mode from kind of the stuff that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. You have, on one hand, an improper hermeneutic. um, Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Narrative or whatever, um, you know, we should apply everything, which is never done consistently anyway. But you know, for the sake of what I'm talking about, so you've got people who say, well, you know, the Bible says that they did such and such here, so therefore that's a command for us to do the same thing today. Correct. So you've got that extreme, and then you've got the opposite extreme that either tries to allegorize everything or to otherwise pick and choose which things. Dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah, because this is what I want to believe, therefore, this is what I want to believe, therefore, this scripture that says opposite, I'm just going to discard. And there is a difference between someone taking the scripture and trying to rightly interpret it and someone saying, like the gentleman said to, said last night, it doesn't matter what the scripture says or what the person who wrote the Bible, this book of the Bible says or didn't say. It's not relevant to what I believe because of A, B, and C. And... It's a denial, therefore, of, okay, whatever... I I think uh, uh, Brother Nick and I were just having a kind of a conversation about how do you approach the Scriptures on very hard subjects. Uh, You approach it by believing, (laughs) by being willing to believe what the Scriptures say in that particular instance um, after doing real exegetical work uh, to try to figure out what the Scriptures are are specifically teaching in that area but it's another another way altogether, and we see Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, moving to this idea that it doesn't matter what it says here. What it matters is, is this verse here supports what I believe. Right? And here it says, God made them both equally in the image of God, and that is going to inform everything I believe. So, so... Uh, so um, I will set anything that Paul says, or anything that it says, anything that it says here or there, uh, and I will hold to that. Uh, the scriptures we also we also have to approach the scriptures believing the scriptures are consistent in themselves. Do you believe that there are contradictions in the Bible? Do you believe that God contradicts in himself? And if you don't approach the Scriptures in that, in that light, that's, then you end up being that, well, I'm going to pick and choose. By the way, that's how Christ presented the Scriptures. How many times did He say, but did you not read? <laughs> and and, and it, even in the text we just read in Matthew, did you not read? Have you not read? Christ believed in the authority of even the verb tenses of Scripture. And you see how where we're going as a culture on this one single issue is pushing what is called, what is called Christianity in our culture to the point where they're denying the authority of the Scriptures. So... Um, uh, it should be omitted here. So how, how are we to take this? It should be omitted here that there are abuses of sinful men. Uh, I've met a few people that in my life that uh, saw themselves as Captain Caveman, and that's not good. There are abuses of sinful men, and we need to be willing to point this out. Uh, you and I as Christians can look at the early feminist movement, and I'm talking about uh, the first wave of feminism, the, the, the women's suffrage movement, this idea of speaking out of equal representation under the law, equal protection under the law, and we can say, they got some points there that should be heard. Amen? There are sinful men who do sinful things and have used leadership in sinful ways, and that should be decried and the scriptures say so there's no right for someone to engage in domestic violence there is there, there's not and just as a script and and Just as the scriptures have been wrongly used to defend things like chattel slavery, so sinful men have wrongfully tried to justify things like domestic violence, controlling behavior, and many other sins, and say, this is scriptural. You're supposed to listen to me, wife. I didn't want to say the bigger bigger word because, well, even though my wife's not here, she doesn't like me using the word woman. (laughs) Like... Just because these abuses have occurred does not mean that the distinctions declared by the Scriptures are wrong. It just means men are sinners and men need to be rebuked for their sins. God most definitely has created differences between male and female and has in those distinctions given definite roles to each in the outworking of sexuality in the world. Male and female, like what did Christ say? Male, female, husband, wife, Mother, father, those those are those are distinctions. Those are roles. Those are real. Ultimately, without getting into the minutia of particular texts, I'm not here to march through First uh, Timothy two or anything else like that. I think I may have something about it on sermon audio or something. If you want me to, if you want me to share it, but. Uh, Uh, I'm not trying to get into the minutia of those texts. We're not trying to dissect what those texts say. And sometimes we find that it doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. But Christ said here, that's what I'm defending here. Uh, And there are greater truths that we learn from those distinctions. That if you set aside, you lose. We learn what a loving father is, not from watching the caveman, uh, caveman I am... I am man. I am strong, and you, you woman, that kind of, that kind of stuff. You learn what a father is. I, I was not talking about husbands. I'm talking about fathers now. Uh, 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 my kids are going to listen to me, kind of father, and wear them out with uh provoking them to anger and all that. But we don't learn what a father is by looking at bad examples of fatherhood. Where do we learn about fatherhood? Our Father, which art in heaven. That's where we learn about, and we learn about his relationship with the world. We learn about what a husband is by looking to Christ. And the great lessons we learn: the sa- what, a, how a husband should sacrifice, how a husband should 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 um, prosecute his life towards his wife, and the giving of himself for his wife. We learn we learn uh, about about these things by studying the scriptures out and how the outworking of the distinctions are, cre- are part of God's order in things. But this doesn't... So, does these things contradict this idea that we are created equally in the image of God? No. Let me ask you a different question. God made Aaron a priest. He set him aside from all the rest of the tribe of Levi and said, Aaron's a priest and all of Aaron's sons will now be a priest. He gave him that role to perform within that that function, that priestly role within that nation. Did that make Aaron and his sons superhuman? No. Did that make everyone whom he was serving for as a priest subhuman? No. So, so this idea that you cannot, that that no roles can exist, no distinctions can exist, and there still be equality of persons is just false. What does it mean that we are equally created, male and female are equally created in the image of God? It simply means this we have equal worth. We have equal dignity in the image of God. And that is not diminished by any order that God has placed in this world. What what, what does it mean? We are created equal in the image of God. It it means that we should have equal protection under the law. It it, it means that, that male and female are both like. The image of God. They, 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 they are rational and they have a will. That, that, does, that doesn't mean, uh, well, I'm tripping over my words because this part I wrote in pencil and I've accidentally erased some of it as I was brushing through this, but, but they are of equal value. Let me, let, me ask, let, me, let me apply this for a second. Why is it wrong to murder somebody, another human being? Gen- Genesis 9-6, why is it wrong? because they're made in the image of God. So it's wrong for me to kill Thomas. And I'm not going to kill Thomas... But it would be wrong for me to murder Thomas because he has dignity. He has value. He is created in the image of God. He has the imago day. I am not supposed to injure him without cause. I am not supposed to be angry with him without cause. I am supposed to treat him with dignity. I am supposed to treat him with respect. I am, supposed to, I am supposed to treat him as my neighbor, do unto him as I would have him do unto me. All those things, right? Why? Because he's in the image of God. So if, a, so if male and female are equally in the image of God, how should I treat, how as I as a man should treat, should I treat a woman with dignity, with value, with respect? I should not defraud them. I should not steal from them. I should, uh, I, all, all those things. Uh, Those are all part of of this idea. The scriptures are clear that just because God created distinctions, just because God created roles, does not diminish the ontological truth that a male and a female are both equally in the image of God. So if you want to make an egalitarian argument about this one single ontological category, great. I agree with you. And there, and that's why there's a whole lot about first wave fem- feminism that I can agree with. Not everything, but a lot of things. There's been a lot of women that have been mistreated in this in this culture, defrauded, kept back from having equal standing in areas of justice. That's what the scriptures condemn, but that doesn't mean there's not roles and distinctions, and that they're not important. If man was autonomous, then man being the head uh, uh, and when it talks about first corinthians eleven three the head of every man of Christ and the head of every woman is the man or uh, yeah, I've quoted that right. That would be a horrible, horrible thing if it didn't start with the term the head of every man is Christ. Because autonomous man is wicked and is going to go about playing Captain Caveman and, and defrauding and, and, un, and, and cre- treating without dignity, without respect, without value someone who is equally created in his image, in the image of God that is. But when the Scriptures assert authority, it starts with the authority of God over us all as Lord. And any distinctions flow from that as Him being Lord. So the institution of, of sexuality by God, male, female, wife, mother, or, or, her, or husband, wife, uh, mother, father, as, as stated here in Matthew 19... It is the first expression of human government before God outside of the individual conscience and intended to be by God the reality from which human society continues generation after generation. It preceded the law. It preceded the gospel. It preceded all forms of human government. It is what is most essential about humanity. It's the fundamental structure. Is a, it's essential to humanity and nothing within its structure is a detriment to the worth of, the indi- of any individual within it, male or female. That's the biblical view of sexuality. Rather, it establishes their most fundamental purposes in life unless God has providentially or by matter of gift or calling Selected some person to for the kingdom of God to remain single, which is a dignified thing as well, that's the fundamental outworking of God's purposes in sexuality. The current philosophy has not yielded a deep sense of purpose. Is there a sense of purpose for for men to become husbands and husband and, and as husbands to become fathers now? Is there a deep sense of purpose there? In this culture, everybody, every man growing up, I need to learn how to be a husband <laughs> by looking at Christ. Is that, is that what men are growing up trying to learn how to be? Or how to be a self and a me and be caught in that little meat for the belly and belly for the meat cycle? Which, does our, which is driving our culture philosophically? And women, are women now informed by the purposes given by God, that I as a woman and grow up need to learn how to be a wife and need to learn how to be a mother so I can in turn instill that same thing into another generation. So it informs our purpose. And individual autonomy produces listlessness. I don't, I don't understand, and I'm going to say this um, with hopes of not offending anybody, but I don't understand a man in his 20s spending 12 hours a day playing video games. I don't even understand a man in his teens spending 12 hours a day playing video games. It's listlessness. This self-autonomy is listlessness. If, they're, if we're not directed towards higher purposes... There is listlessness. There is a listlessness to society. If you do not know where you are supposed to go, you shouldn't be surprised when you end up nowhere. A deeper sense of a true patriarchy, where the head of every man is the Lord, that's true patriarchy, is a better way than egalitarianism, where there are no distinctions and I get to choose my own way and fulfill my own self and however I please Meat for the belly, belly for the meat. But true patriarchy creates a man who faithfully loves and ministers to his wife and his, to his children. Where are the fathers? That's, that's what's been asked in many communities today. The very first question, anytime I hear about some shooting somewhere, the very first question is, I bet they, or no, the very first statement I have, I said, I, I bet they didn't have a father. And lo and behold, if I study in the story long enough, they were raised by grandparents, they were raised by a single parent, there was no father in the home, there was where are the fathers? Which is like saying, but it's not a slight against whoever did raise them. No, no, no. It's... Exactly. And there's this hole in their lives. It's just there. It's glaring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or he grew up in an abusive home or something like that. But true patriar- a true sense of patriarchy in the sense of what the Bible teaches about sexuality. My goodness, I'm going long. I'm going to try to finish. is is that it produces men who are prepared to lovingly and faithfully minister to their wives and their children and cleave to their wives and all these things that are scriptural. It fosters a true matriarchy where the children continue under the nurturing authority, equal authority of almost, well, obey your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. There is just, there, 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 there is a sense of a, ch- a child uh, seeing them as one and seeing them as a single voice and seeing as a, a single authority in that sense. That's a true matriarch, nurturing the authority of both till they faithfully cleave to their own family. Patriarchal leaderships under the rule of God supported by complementary matriarchy leadership creates a stable structure for families and for culture. And to be equally made in the image of God is the undergirding of, of the dignity of each and the outworking of their roles. Turn, if you will, to one more place, and we're going to finish here. I don't have as much to say about this, but this will come up all the time. Galatians chapter 3. This is one of your favorite egalitarian passages. Not your favorite, people's favorite. If you say, well, Paul says here, they say, but, 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 it says, well, it says here. All right, verse 28. Usually wrenched out of its context. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. So a further argument from scriptural anthropology in regard is in regards to the gospel. It is argued here that Paul asserted the principles of egalitarianism by saying that in Christ there is neither male nor female. However, you've already created contradictions. You've already contradicted Christ that says he created male and female. Wife, mother, Bravo or husband, wife, mother, father, the ongoing, the ongoing process. However, Paul, would, he's not going to be contradicting himself when he talks about distinctions, real distinctions in this very same area uh, and differing roles. To, assort, to, to assert that each are loved by Christ equally. So what does this verse mean? What do we assert as Christians in this verse? Well, in Christ there's neither male nor female. They're each loved by God equally, yeah, yeah. They are equal in Christ. Um, the love by Christ equally equally heirs of salvation. I love when Peter brings that brings that out. They they heirs together of the salve, of salvation. First Peter chapter three, uh, and fellow helpers. How how often does I, I think sometimes sometimes we miss a lot of this part. Uh, Phoebe was a fellow helper of Paul. Priscilla was a fellow helper of Paul and many others. And didn't have they, they, they didn't have a, a subordinate role in the sense that they were serving Christ. How many women were called servants in the same way that men were of the church? They were equal, they were fellow heirs of South, equally equally representative of Christ in their confession. I as a man do not have a greater testimony in Christ than any woman sitting here that has that very same confession. I wasn't saved in any... I wasn't any different than anyone standing here or sitting here, rather. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, equally loved by the one that saved us. And not to say that we... That doesn't say mean that we don't have different roles, different purposes, different distinctions that God has laid out for our lives. I want to say this very discreetly. I can never be a mother. The fact that I have to say that as discreetly as, or even frame that as being a, this, I can't. No matter what, that my, that is not the purposes God has for me, and never will be. But I can be what God created me to be. A male, a husband, a father, and hopefully an instilling in those that are after me the ability to do the same under the Lordship of Christ. I've had some scribbly writing here and I can't tell what it says. But we are equally ministers of grace together. There there is an equality right here in the church that doesn't set aside distinctions or roles but realizes that we are all fellow laborers of the same gospel and we all have something to do and we all stand equally saved and forgiven of our sins by the very same grace that we are all equally of the faith of Abraham. That's the greater context of Galatians, is it not? We are all blessed with faithful Abraham. That we were, we were all brought into Christ. We are all be, uh, we are all benefits of that very same thing. There is a profound truth of inequality found in salvation. In Christ, that is, in the same profession of faith in Him, there is no division of class, ethnicity, or gender. We all equally have put on Christ in our outward confession of baptism. That's the context in Galatians. We have all equally entered into the inheritance of Abraham. That's the context of Galatians. We are all equally free from the law and saved in Christ. That's the context of Galatians. Some take this declaration that in Christ there is neither male nor female to mean that egalitarianism is now to be applied to all, but they cannot find that in the text. And it definitely is not a support to the philosophy of meat for the belly and belly for the meats that goes on. Not only outside these doors, but in the pool of our culture in each and every one of our hearts and lives. I hope you received something from the Lord today. Let's go ahead and quit there. and I hope this was worthwhile. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about a more. Uh, we're going to talk about how egalitarianism distorts the view of God, um, and we'll do that next week. And then we're going to get into—I don't know how far. I'm going to go back and forth between this and Mark because I don't want to lose sight of the Book of Mark. But I really want to present this material as I've been studying it for a long time now. Um, I want to get into some things about the law. What is our relationship to the law? Uh, and here in a couple of weeks, I want to get into that. And are we hypocrites, hypocritically choosing, saying, this law should be followed and this not, because I probably have mixed fibers on, the, on this shirt that I'm wearing, and therefore am I just picking and choosing what laws? What is the Christian's relationship to the law, especially the laws concerning sexuality? Uh, that's going to be a major issue that you and I as Christians need to understand. I hope you receive something. Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed. Uh,